Good to see each and every one of you here today. As you know, tomorrow is 4th of July. <clears throat> we think of the freedom that we enjoy and we thank God for it. I think too also of the freedom of which Jesus spoke. <clears throat> John 8, 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. He was talking about freedom from sin, his victory over sin, his power in us to help us in our daily lives to win that victory. We've been going through the book of Galatians, and freedom is perhaps the main theme of the whole book. <clears throat> because of Jesus, we're free, we're forgiven. We are no longer under the Old Testament law of Moses, but we're under the New Testament covenant and testament of Jesus Christ. That's real freedom. Throughout the book of Galatians, we find this emphasized. We're not saved by the works of the Old Testament law. We're saved by faith alone. And so a lot of what we find as we study the book of Galatians is a repetition of this basic thought. We're free in Christ. We're not justified by the works of the law. We're justified by faith in the Lord Jesus. And so as we go through this book, some of the things will be reviewed Paul hits on them several times in many places. And so as we study the book, some of the things will be repeated in our study. But repetition is good, is it not? It helps us remember. Review, review, review. A key thing of memorization and learning the word of God. <clears throat> well, we've come to chapter two of Galatians. Last Sunday, we ended with verse 16. And so today, we'd like to pick up with verse 16. Beginning then with Galatians 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but he is by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified see that's one of the key verses in the whole book and there are other ones like that that say the same thing but if while we seek to be justified by Christ we ourselves are also found to be sinners therefore is Christ the Minister of sin? <laughs> Let it not be. Because if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Because I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live to God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God 
who also loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, because if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. A powerful passage, a wonderful bunch of verses that really tell us the heart and core of the need for faith in Jesus and the freedom that we have in him. Yes, verse 16 really says it powerfully, does it not? That we are justified not by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. It goes on to say that, and at the end of that verse, not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Now this is important enough that he keeps hammering at home this glorious truths. You see, the problem was there were people we called Judaizers. <clears throat> they were people who professed to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, and yet they also insisted that we keep the Old Testament law, including circumcision. In fact, that a person couldn't be saved unless he did so. But when the Gentiles were brought into God's family through faith in Jesus, that no longer became obligatory under the New Testament, the new covenant that God made with us. And so this became a big issue. And so the Apostle Paul was very clear. He was basically the apostle to the Gentiles. He was very clear in this follow-up book to the people of Galatia Yes, we're saved by faith and faith alone in the Lord Jesus, not by works of the law or any morality and good deeds that we may offer to God. And so this is again highlighted in the book of Galatians in verse 21, the last verse of our section. I do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. <laughs> That's a powerful statement, is it not? I've been in my daily Bible reading, reading again through the book of Genesis. Way back in chapter 6 of Genesis, we find the first mention of grace in the Bible. Chapter 6 of Genesis, verse 8. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So we find grace right here toward the beginning of the Bible. What is grace? Well, I think you know. Grace is undeserved favor. We don't deserve it, but it's God's favor toward us. It's God's gift to us, not something we pay for, not something we earn. But as I was reading, I was impressed by something. Yes, it says in verse 8 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But it also goes on to say in verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and upright in his generations, and Noah walked with God. 
So here was a man who was upright, who was clean living, who walked with God, and yet he needed grace. <laughs> no, like all of us, have done things we shouldn't have done. We need the undeserved favor of God. God gave it to Abraham, to his descendants. God eventually made a covenant with Moses for the people. And then later, a new covenant through Jesus Christ for his people. We also see in Genesis 6, 5 and 9, how awful the people of the world were, how sinful they were. What a contrast Noah was, a righteous man who had received the grace of God and who walked with God. Now, as we think of grace and works, it's important to realize by definition what is really being said. There's a verse in the New Testament that explains that to us. A verse I hope you're familiar with. That's verse number six of chapter 11 of Romans. Romans 11, six, a good verse. It's listed in your bulletin there in the outline. Here's what it says. <clears throat> if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. In other words, by very definition, grace rules out works. Then it goes on to say, but if by works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. <laughs> So here we find a biblical definition of grace and works. They're different. They exclude one another. So are we saved by works or are we saved by grace? The Bible makes it clear. In Jesus, we're saved by grace, the undeserved favor of God. And it's received through faith in Jesus. Justification is by faith in Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul and Silas told the Philippian jailer about this, he had asked what he must do to be saved. Remember how they responded? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So it's by faith. That's the message. It's not by works. It's by faith. It's by grace. Works are excluded. Elsewhere, Paul explains that works are important. We're not to exclude them from our lives, but we're saved by faith. Works are a result of a changed life, and they are very important, and they help prove that we know the Lord. One might question then, and I remember as a young Christian, I wondered about this, as a Christian, then, does that mean that we no longer sin? And I remember I prayed about that. A couple of passages of Scripture, I believe, God guided me to to help me realize that, no, we do not become sinless in ourselves. We still have the sin nature. 
First of all, we find in the book of John, 1 John, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. If we say we have no sin, okay, and there's some that say that, claim that they have overcome the sin nature, they, they're not sinners anymore, they never do anything wrong. If we say we have no sin, what's it say? It says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we can't go around saying, well, I, I don't sin anymore. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But in verse 8 it says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth is not in us. If we walk in the light, the preceding verse, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there we have verses 7 and 8. If we're in the light like he's in the light, what's it say? It says we are being cleansed, ongoing present tense, of all sin. Now, if we didn't have sin, why would we need that constant cleansing? So we see, yes, we do need that cleansing. We are sinners. God gives us victory that we are to reach out and receive, but the old nature still lingers on. When we receive the perfected spirit and eventually the new body, then there will be no sin. But until that time, we have to deal with the presence of the fact that we do things that are wrong. Now the other verse that helped me is found in the book of Romans, very end of chapter seven. Chapter seven of Romans deals with the struggle we have with sin and how we really want to do what's right, but there's a power there, there's a problem there. And so the very last verse of chapter seven of Romans puts it like this. Paul said, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. I serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh, <laughs> the law of sin. So there you see the two natures. You see the struggle that goes on. He goes on and talks about the victory we have in Jesus in Romans chapter 8. But we are still sinners. And we find that very clearly expressed. Again, back to Galatians. Here's what it says in verse 17. If while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, and we are. Is Christ therefore the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Now I'd like to read those two verses also in the New International Version. Perhaps it helps us understand them a little better. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, 
it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. So we do see that we still have the sin nature, and yet we have Christ to help us fight against it. The Mosaic law reveals everyone to be sinners. Romans 3.19, I've shared with you before, it tells us that that is the case. Here's what Romans 3.19 says. Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and all the whole world may become guilty before God. So it tells us in a nutshell, <laughs> that's what the law really does. It reveals that we're all sinners. There's a failure in the law to be able to save. And we come into this very clearly as we find scriptures in the New Testament. Now, if the Old Testament law is reimposed on us, as the Judaizers would do, things would be really messed up. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Things would really be messed up. 2.18 of Galatians, If I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Isn't it wonderful that we have victory in Jesus? Something we could not do ourselves. And we sing songs about it. And one of the things I noticed in both of the songs we sang, if you thought about them really carefully, and I think we do when we sing them, really think about what the words are saying. There's some powerful truths. Both of the songs indicated that Jesus is the only way to be saved. There was a statement in each of the songs to that effect. If that Old Testament law were reimposed on us, things would really be messed up. <laughs> but the Old Testament is not faultless. Now let's go back to Galatians 2, verse 19. Because I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live to God. When I was in seminary, I attended a series of meetings, at least two of them, one at the Bible Church of L.A. and one at the Congregational Church in Pasadena. Several churches were working together, having kind of a crusade. And when I was at the church in Pasadena, the pastor was the speaker, and he especially talked about verse 19 here. Through the law, I'm dead to the law. Now that's very, very interesting. The law itself has the seeds of its own demise, its own death. The law prophesies that it will be superseded. It will be fulfilled and 
superseded by the New Testament. The Old Testament law is not without fault. It's not faultless. And so we see that. I, through the law, am dead to the law. If it were without fault, why would it be replaced? Why would it prophesy its own death? The law itself points us in that direction. How important this is. Now, I'd like to go over something, and as I said, sometimes there's a bit of repetition as we cover these very important subjects. I mentioned the other day something out of the book of Ezekiel. I don't think I took time to read it for you, but we find in Ezekiel 37, the chapter about the very dry bones and about the resurrection and flesh coming upon them and in the chapter what that refers to. But this we sometimes might pass over. Ezekiel 37, verse 26. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and so forth. So here we find a new covenant promised in this chapter. Now I did share with you before the same promise found back in the book of Jeremiah. Let's look at that. Very important. And this points to the demise of the law in favor of the New Testament. Beginning in Jeremiah 31, 31. Here's what we find. If I get the right page here, here it is. Look, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I make with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt to bring them out, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, because I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now, as I pointed out before, and again, repetition is good, and I believe this is extremely important repetition. The book of Hebrews, chapter 8, here we find, beginning with verse 8, referring back to Jeremiah. Finding fault with them, he says, okay, now he's talking about what Jeremiah said. Look, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant, a new testament, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand, 
to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, says the Lord, because this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because all shall know me from the least to the greatest, because I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. And then get this. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first one old. Now that which decays and becomes old is ready to vanish away. And so he says that about the Old Testament, the Mosaic covenant. It's old, ready to vanish away. It's superseded by the new covenant. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it was at the Last Supper, and we'll be having communion shortly. Jesus said, this is my blood of the New Testament, New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, last Sunday, I showed what a good Jew follower of the Old Testament Paul had been what he'd been converted from, beginning in Philippians chapter 3 with verse 4 through 10. I'm not going to read that today, but you will recall that it tells how Paul explained that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He really kept the law. He was zealous. He even thought it was God's will that he go out and kill Christians, and he did that. He was really a person who, if anybody were justified by the Old Testament law, could say, I've done it. I should be justified, therefore, by these good works of the Old Testament law. But no, Paul had become dead to the law by the law itself and by these prophecies in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. The law has its own death warrant built into it. And then what goes on to it say for us? After having said these things, it goes on to say in verse 20, after he says that I might live to God, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Great words. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so that should be the result of this all for us as well. That we die to self daily. We take up our cross. Self is crucified. We're dead to the law, but we're alive to Jesus. And we're to live out this life every day. And every day can be a good and happy day and blessed day with the Lord. Doesn't mean we won't have difficulties. Doesn't mean we might not have to go to the hospital. 
doesn't mean that we might not encounter many problems, but it does mean that in these difficulties and problems, we can come to Jesus and he lives in us and we can live for him. Dead to self and sin, alive in the Lord Jesus, that we might live for him. This is the point, this is what it leads us to. Well, how did that work out with the Apostle Paul? He was totally changed. What he once persecuted, now he propagated. He told people about Jesus, who is the Messiah. He was very zealous for the Lord. He talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace, which was bestowed on me, was not in vain, not in futility, but I worked more abundantly than all of them. Yet it wasn't I, but it was the grace of God which was with me. So Paul knew what he was talking about. He experienced these things, and so he sets them before us. We too are to experience these things, and thank God we can do it. Hopefully every one of us has truly depended on Jesus. Hopefully every day we renew that dependence. We trust him, we follow him, we experience his blessing. We, these things happen that we might live for Christ.